0: Welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies, where
1: we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. My guest today is Meryl Marco, one of the funniest writers, whether it's as a trailblazing writer for The Letterman Show or author, and even illustrator, as in her latest book, of many novels and books of nonfiction. We attempt... To understand many of life's biggest quandaries on today's episode, including why in middle school we always fell for the kid least likely to love us back, and whether that thing your dog is doing to the couch is considered unconditional love. She brings us her sugar free breakfast cookie recipe, and I gotta tell you, it's a beaut of an episode. And also, On the subject of dogs, I wanna kick off with a quotation that I wasn't able to talk to her about in the podcast, but it really sums up dogs for me so perfectly. Um, And it clarifies just why your dog walks take so long. Quote, and this is from a dog in her novel who um, explains this to her in his dog voice. There is regular peeing and auxiliary competitive peeing it's for acquiring an empire i'm all about real estate unquote and with that on with the podcast i want to welcome meryl marco to the secret life of cookies today and she joins us from zoom land and i am very grateful to have you here today thank you very much nice to meet you <laughs> um, for those of you um, who know Meryl Marco and who don't know Meryl Marco, you are a well-known, as they say in the trade, comedy writer who also written many fantastic books and um, are just a general deep thinker and lover of dogs. Is that how you would describe yourself?
0: I'll take that. <laughs> that <that's all>
1: right. <laughs> do you ever do you ever have that moment, like if you're like filling out the customs form and they're like, "What is your occupation?" I I put writer writer and do they ever ask you so what do you write they sometimes they do ask me that. they
0: always do and then they the worst question there that's bad enough because there's no answer that is going to please anybody mm-hmm. but the worst of it is, is have you written anything that i would have heard of and to which i say no <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's not actually true is it it is actually true <laughs> I disagree with you. Um, but you are here um, because you have just, re- I I, the, I want you here, one, because you, can, you bring with you to The Secret Life of Cookies, a sugar-free breakfast cookie. Um, yeah. And I also want to talk to you about your most recent book, We Saw Scenery, um, which is brilliant. Um, so why a sugar-free breakfast cookie? I, I'll say that as a person who bakes cookies and sends recipes out into the universe, I regularly get requests for such a thing.
0: Well, I, I, um, cookies are one of the things I gave up. I've been on a diet more or less since I was about eight. Oh. <laughs> so once you, once you get going with that, you can't really, I couldn't really stop. I mean, I, I, then I went, I went on to, I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. I went to UC Berkeley. I, um, where you were, you know, you weren't even really allowed to eat um, most <laughs> foods, and and I was there at the advent, the early days of granola, where everybody was making their own granola and stuff. I anyway, I've been steeped in this stuff forever, and I really it's a habit that I don't give up because I keep I'm on the internet now, and every single day <laughs> I see a page that says twelve superfoods you <laughs> should eat, so I have to look at all twelve. And then I find out that I'm eating all 12 and they've made absolutely no difference that I can see. <laughs> but I, I'm so busy eating superfoods that I, I gave up sugar. You know, I'm, I mean, I get, I'm a vegan. So although you- I did put egg whites into this, um, in this recipe for your sake and for the sake of people who I serve these cookies to.
1: <laughs> it's a very kind of you. It, it does help to bind these cookies together. So yes. that's a good thing. But I am supposed we could also go the whole vegan route and use like aquafaba, that like chickpea. Yeah, um, no, you totally can. And
0: you actually can do it without. Um, the weird thing about this recipe, which I self-invented, but I read a lot of recipes before I self-invented it, um, is it doesn't actually require the egg whites. You can just moisten it with stuff. Like um, water or I I always have um, silk here, which is um, soy milk kind of substitute or oat milk or uh, um, almond milk. I use that sometimes or um, non-dairy coffee creamer. Almost anything works as long as you can just wet it. It sticks together.
1: <laughs> so, so the directions for this really involve make it so that it sticks together, really. Like, yes. you know, there are no fancy directions here. And that's actually why I love this recipe. First of all, it's packed full of nutritious things. Oats, almond flour, uh, dried fruits of some sort. I only had cranberries and I figured Merrill would say, sure, sure, if you got them.
0: <laughs> yeah no i had raisins i i mean i i vary it based on what i have what what i what i don't vary is the almond flour which i always have and the um and then i usually have oats stuff here too so i sort of i mix those two and then i just put other stuff in it i've played around with this for years i've only recently stumbled onto how great apple makes it um but bananas I-
1: make it really good too I made my first batch with apples.
0: This weird recipe of mine, I um I invented it because um since I don't eat cookies and all I really want in life is to eat cookies. That's pretty much all <laughs> I really do want, but then I just don't. I do buy chocolate chips sometimes and I pretend they're cookies. And um <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I, I buy chocolate <laughs> chips that don't have sugar in them, which is um, a thing you can get at Sprouts, which is a market out here. I don't know if they have that market back there.
1: We, I have them in my house because I have a 15-year-old son who wants to get cut in buff, And he um, is true. Like we have monk fruit sweetener and we have Stevia sweetened chocolate chips because for all his talk of wanting
0: Stevia and monk fruit, both difficult.
1: Are to cook with?
0: Think? I think
1: they're difficult. No, to taste. Yes. <laughs> I think I find them flavor wise. I also find them and not to sound like a three hundred year old Jewish woman, but I find them a little upsetting in my stomach. Um they <laughs> Yeah,
0: no, they're they're um that's why I use erythritol. I don't I don't taste anything from erythritol. But you get a
1: taste a lot of people com- claim the opposite. So I um I just I try and use sweetener, to be honest. I, I made the first batch with monk fruit sweetener, and I find that they're really delicious. Um, this batch I'm making with actual sugar so that my daughter has a batch of cookies that she'll eat. But I've used, I'm using coconut palm sugar, which I think, you know, people pretend is much healthier than anything else, which, of course, it isn't.
0: People do a lot of pretending in this area. So, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's a religion for people. I think it's, you know, yeah, no, it's It's like John Winthrop, if he hadn't like had Christianity, he would have been like, let me tell you about the pomegranate. It is the true savior of all of America, I suspect. Um, anyway, I'm mixing all this together. I, um, I, I
0: have so many food supplements that I take that I don't have any room on my counter to cook. <laughs> I have just jars and jars and jars and jars of <laughs> and one of these and two of these and one of these. <laughs>
1: Right, so yeah, we've gotten to the point where Soylent is is your people. I um have been enjoying. We saw scenery, and it's a graphic novel. And why did you choose to write a graphic novel? Why was that your um, choice? Um, it was my choice because
0: I was I had finished a, um, an audio book that I had written on the history of women being treated like shit. Are we allowed to say shit on here?
1: Yeah, you can say it as many times as you'd like.
0: <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and then I was sort of looking for, well, what am I going to write now? And I was going through my office. I save everything that I think is funny because I really am incapable of throwing out things that I think are funny. I think I'm going to need them or want to see them again. And I have boxes and boxes and boxes of things like, And they are all categories and they're nothing that none of them that should be saved. And yet I have them all. (laughs) And um, and so I at the bottom of one of these boxes, I found these little diaries that I started keeping diaries. I kept them all the way through till recently. I still have intermittent but not consistent diaries right now. But my my first diary my mother bought me when I was about I think it was the, the tail end of fourth grade. And I didn't know what you were supposed to do with them, but I wanted to honor the fact that she had bothered to give me a diary. So I wrote down every single thing I did every single day. (laughs) And I opened these diaries thinking, well, this would be funny. I'm gonna write a review of them like they are um, an early work by a a writer. (laughs) And I thought I remembered what was in them, but when I sat to read them and realized how complete and full of stuff that I didn't remember they were, they really started to make me laugh because I who keeps a diary like that? I mean, maybe somebody with really bad OCD, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, these were just every test and, every, you know, it was really a flood of stuff coming back like, oh, like if you had said to me, what would you do in fifth grade? I would have said, um, that was Girl Scouts, I think. <laughs> I wouldn't have, you know, I've had maybe two memories. I think I got glasses in fifth grade yeah. or was that fourth grade? Right. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have really been able to tell you, but now I had in front of me every single thing I did in fifth grade, every single thing I did in sixth grade. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do a comic strip out of it, like as if somebody's writing to you from the 60s, um, a kid writing to you and it'll be a comic strip. And so I started drawing them. And also I was curious, like what this kid who was me actually looked like doing this stuff, because I only remembered some of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I started wondering as I was doing the drawings, well, wh- what's the selection process? Why don't I remember all of it? Why do I remember any of it if I don't remember all of it? And then I just started playing with all of that stuff and doing drawings. And I showed some to my friends and my friends said, well, that's a book. Mm-hmm. And I went, how, how is it a book? It's just a bunch of random stuff by a kid figure out how to make it into a book. I had a lot of of juggling and figuring to do to make story arcs. Because, you know, you don't, I don't know about you, but I didn't really know what the story arc of my life
1: was. (laughs) I didn't didn't get it at first, no.
0: (laughs) No, I didn't really think of it as having an arc. It's just a, a long stream of stuff. But then I had to create one in order to make it a thing that you'd read. And then, as I was creating it, now that now that I've created it, I'm thinking that is what it is. I don't know that's, if it's true or not. <laughs> I, mean, I just I just took my life and made it into story. But I'm not, you know. So that's what it, how it happened.
1: To the outside observer, I do see it, I do see the story arc in it, and so that's why it, it becomes very interesting to someone like me and and anybody who will read the book who reads the book because. You get to this point, you're like, and that's how she got to be who she is,
0: you know. Well, that's what you start looking for, and then I wondered because you know memory is such a weird, fleeting, weird thing, and so apparently from the stuff I read, unreliable. <laughs> um, you, I started to wonder when I because as I read what every single thing I did in fifth grade, I started vision envisioning them, and then now they are imprinted on me as memories. And I I don't know that they're, they are real. You know, I, it's um, it's weird. I mean, I know that I only, I didn't go with the other stuff that I could have put in this book because I only wanted to make sure it was factual. And the only stuff I knew for sure happened was the stuff I actually wrote down at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So this other stuff that, that came to me around, the, around it, I left out. I left out all the general memories and only went with,
1: documented details (laughs) and you have one of the guides in there is yourself the older you and the other is your hippocampus
0: yeah which um uh i I was doing research on where do where do we store memories and uh what stuff gets saved what doesn't and uh, you know they don't have exacting answers to this stuff they have just sort of theoreticals so it was It was at that point that it occurred to me that uh, the word hippocampus is a hippo on a campus.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. I was like,
0: Well, everybody must have made this joke already, but it turns out nobody bothered. Nobody
1: had. <laughs> and you have this very sort of wise hippo who sort of helps you through middle school, it seems to me, through most of it. Um, as a someone who uh, prof professors to teach, right? someone who te- talks about writing a lot to students uh, that like, as I do, um, and trying to tell them, ah, oh, adjectives are the words, they help you describe things, you know, you have to describe a something with words, you must gather much material, and then you can describe them and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the kind of delightful stuff that I churn out for people. Um, it's one thing to describe someone to with words but it's another thing then to just be able to have the ability to then describe them with pictures like does one win in the end do you start with the picture and then write the 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 dialogue it does it help your descriptions if you are able to do it also if you're also able to draw the pictures they well they're sort of hand in hand to me I
0: mean the thing I've i went on to do more of in life was not apparent to me when i when i was younger i got a master's degree in art and um i uh and i was really just mostly visual but i was always i had a weird um relationship to writing because my mother was sort of um, my mother kind of meant to be a writer and didn't do it Ah. She had, um, during World War II, she got jobs as a copywriter on Time Magazine, and she sort of wore this writer identity as a badge of her own, but didn't write. And was kind of pushing it onto me, but didn't really like it when I became a writer and was earning a living at it, because it kind of bugged her, I think, that that I was really trying to encourage her to become the writer it seemed to me she wanted to be, but, you know, she was she was not introspective, and I never did figure out what happened there. Anyway, I had a real weird mixed feeling about writing. She used to um, take all my papers when I was in grade school and and arrange them and rewrite them and do copy editor stuff on them, like new paragraph, spelling. So you're saying I, <laughs> shouldn't, that...
1: I shouldn't do that to my children? <laughs> is, that, is that what you do? No, they won't let me. So that's... <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea. She made me,
0: you know, she taught me to write, but she, uh, but I didn't, I was never sure that I, what, why I knew how to write. I just sort of had it in my mind that I, I could write if I wanted to. (laughs) And I never took writing in college. I wanted to be either an actress or an artist. And, uh, and I was doing both of those things. And then when, uh, when I got a job teaching art for a year at post-college and I wasn't, I was at USC and I started auditing classes in, um, in filmmaking and I switched over and I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll just write. And then I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, you know, she did in fact instill in me this confidence that I could write. She was very verbal, mm-hmm. but she was very emotionally peculiar.
1: Yeah, I kind of get the sense that your parents were a little bit uh, narcissistic from this book.
0: They were very narcissistic and um, and hard to deal with. Do you think that yeah. was sort of a
1: generational thing? Like, you know. There's a
0: lot of it in that generation,
1: but then there's a lot of it
0: in our generation <laughs> and
1: every generation, there's, it doesn't seem to be slacking off. <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing, weird self-preservation sort of thing going on there. I, I talked to some people just to, uh, to mention the person I haven't mentioned in a number of months, but uh, the, pre- the narcissistic president that we recently had,
0: he was such a case study, such an unbelievable case study. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I've been, I'm early to that party. I, w- I went to a shrink when I was in the 80s and, um, and read every book there was at that point about narcissism. And I, and, and I, uh, and I, so I knew a lot, but I'd never seen it really so fulfilled to the biggest extent as you could see it with Trump. That was unbelievable for me.
1: Did, did horrible, did, horrible. That was the problem because it, it's like narcissism. Like, you know, it's OK. It's terrible enough when you suffer it personally, right? Dealing with narcissists up close. But when it's affecting all of us all the time.
0: Everybody I thought was a bad narcissist paled by comparison,
1: really. Right. Um, he was the president of narcissism. Um, in, I, in your book, you um, pick the scab, if you'll pardon the expression, that is middle school. And I, as a grown-up adult, which apparently I am, have spent a lot of my life picking the scab that is middle school, and I wonder why it's never healed. And I wonder, are there, to you, are there people out there who didn't suffer in middle school, and what are they like as adults now? Well, there's, I have noticed I have a weird brain that catalogues mm-hmm.
0: and it it puts things in categories, like for instance, I've noticed just because I saw repeat categories that most of the women I know who um who write and and there's one notable exception the woman who introduced me to you, Nell does not fit into this category. Everyone else I know who writes humor for a living had a really fraught relationship with her mother that's
1: interesting. Oh.
0: Pretty much 100%, and a varying degrees of fraught, but mostly pretty terrible. I don't know exactly how that adds up. I have my theories. That's, but as far as middle school goes, I've, it seems to me that the people who did best in, in either middle school or high school particularly, yeah. um, level off. They, they don't go on to do much else. That's or There's a, certainly a large percentage of people who got most likely to succeed or mm-hmm. um, most popular, et cetera, who just were the king and queen of, of that domain, and that's it.
1: That's what my mother very kindly said to me, actually, in high school, at some point when I was suffering being a short, fast, Jewish girl. Okay, I wasn't fat, but I certainly wasn't as thin as the girls in my town, if any of you are listening. Um like jewish kid in a town full of the waspiest of the wasps right in the heart of preppy and for me like i just remember thinking "I, i i'll never i can never be like these people and and look at like they're the cheerleader and they're doing this and they're dating and they're doing all these things i'm not doing and they're beautiful and blonde and i'll stop but um my mother said to me these are the best days of their lives honey don't worry Which
0: (laughs) well, that's not a the problem. There is you're going well. Why aren't I having the best days of my yours are That's yours are coming, honey. Satisfying answer. And what I was surprised at in my diaries is exactly how much anguish I was in, and that was another reason that made me think that it would be a reasonable book to publish. Is I was thinking somewhere there are kids right now in that kind of anguish, not understanding that you know you cannot really spell your fate and your social life projected into infinity when you're 11 <laughs> you're just... I was I had so many entries that were I'm everyone uh, hates me nobody I'm never gonna have a boyfriend I'm always gonna be alone I know now that no one will ever love me I just had so much and I it, it was it was so ridiculous that I'd go well what how old was I right then? 12?
1: <laughs> right. And you think like these intense feelings that you have about some boy are, first of all, like, first of all, you've discovered love. And second of all, the love of your life turns out to be some, in your case, it was fantastic, a pimply faced sort of Nazi, an in, in early love. That blew me away. That I, I remembered that I was in love with that guy.
0: And I even remembered, although I hadn't really stopped to analyze it, that he used to do the German salute when he saw me. It didn't occur to me until I reread this thing in the book that he was Jew baiting me. That never occurred to me. I just thought he was paying attention to me. And I thought, wow, he likes me paying attention, (laughs) (laughs) which isn't really, I don't think what the Nazis have in mind
1: when they're, when they're. It wasn't a sign of, Hey cutie over there, come and see me. From my, from my reading of things about the Holocaust, that really wasn't it
0: no 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 it just it was not no <laughs> but it stunned me i didn't really it didn't dawn on me that what i was looking at was nazism i just thought it was a kid being silly and you know he, to be fair to that guy he was nine you know obviously he was seeing that stuff at home but <laughs> what nine-year-old knows what they're doing not really, not, and although the good news is that I have not heard from him again, I changed his last names to make sure that I would not be hearing from him again. yeah, I
1: wondered if you'd done any like deep Facebook dives on him to look for him
0: uh, no, they' not even they're in Florida too, so i don't, I mean, who knows where he, between nine and now, who knows where time and space took this guy or what he the everglades i mean yeah maybe he's maybe he's a um an oathkeeper. who knows you don't know and maybe not
1: <laughs> um we meet your first dog corky we do <laughs> and 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 we do we don't mean much
0: of him though i don't really I didn't really have that many entries about him. So I was staying with
1: what the entries were. But Corky uh, herself or himself? What is a Corky? Sorry. It was a he. It was a he. Corky. Sorry. Um, Corky has this delightful face but and, and sort of is in the corner of the picture, sort of adding in his, his feelings um, with his lolling tongue, it seems to me. You then go on to have a lot of dogs in your life. How many dogs do you have now? Um, I only have two because they're not—they
0: uh, don't get along well with others, and I don't really want to bring anyone in to, uh,
1: to be tortured by them. But some of the novels that you have written—I usually um, had four.
0: I had a lot of groups of four before this. Wow, And that was fun, and they all got were—that yeah. was a lot of fun as long as I got along, and they did. I had you, groups that
1: got along. Big dogs, little dogs, mostly kind big of dogs. I prefer a big dog. I have a giant, fluffy thing wandering around here somewhere. Um, what is he usually he? likes to come. Just a he is—he's just a mutt. He looks like a uh, like if you dyed a golden retriever black. Or a oh small, well, you know that's or, a
0: breed—a Newfoundland. <laughs> uh, a new, Yeah, No, no, not a Newfoundland. He, um, it's
1: a—it's a, it's a um, uh, flat-coated retriever. This Is what they call a black golden retriever. He looks like that, except we got his DNA done and he's like mostly boxer, which is just the strangest thing. Oh. Boxer and lab and husky. There was a lot going on in his past that we just don't know about.
0: That's how they invented flat coating retrievers. They were golden retrievers that mated with something black and then they started refining it.
1: I had, a, I had two of them. They're the greatest. Oh.
0: They're very he is sweet. One,
1: he's so sweet. Just the nicest thing. That's Bosco. Yeah, Bosco, I'm talking about you. Um, I tried to brush him earlier. So he disappeared uh, you, but in, in your books, you, you, I think the one that really stands out to me is um, in walking, walking in circles before lying down where the protagonist has these awful relationships or not, not successful relationships with people and then finds herself crying into the neck of her dog. And what happens?
0: You know, I haven't read that book in so long. I never revisit my books. I don't know how I you feel about this. I'm so worried that I'm going to see things I think should be rewritten. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I don't look at them again. I don't even know what's in there anymore. It's pretty long, but what, long I, ago.
1: but what I loved about this book is that it the the dog suddenly, in a sense, comes to life and is like, honey, didn't you realize it? That, that that guy was cheating on you? I could smell it on his pants. Couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, So do you find that your dogs, do you believe in the whole idea of the unconditional love of a dog? Um, What Believe in it how? You mean? I mean, like people, I guess, okay, we're talking, let's talk about my issues. No, people say, oh, I love dogs because their love is unconditional. And I don't know if that's, personally, I don't know if that's true. I think my dog really, really loves me because I know how to feed him and I have thumbs.
0: Well, there's that. That you know, I think that animals. I I spend as much time with animals as I can, and everybody, animals, including humans, are mm-hmm. um, are lists of um, behaviors turned into patterns. And you know, if if you're kind to something from the minute it's born until and every single day you feed it, it it's happy to see you. It, I What I really don't believe in is the unconditional love of humans. I mean, uh, I believe that all love between humans is conditional, completely conditional, or at least that has been my experience. I've never had unconditional love, not from a family member, not anyone. It's always conditional. Dogs, on the other hand, seem to really have a high resilience uh, level. On the last hand, though, if you get a dog that's been damaged by, by trauma, um the, the conditional level is different. You know, they, they learn slowly to trust you and then you have to keep earning the trust. So I guess, I guess the answer is no, it's not really unconditional. I have had, the dogs I've raised from puppies uh, just let me know how lucky the world is that I never had children because uh, they... They just talk about narcissism. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they are so confident and sure that of their charm and their delight, they would just The joke I used to do about one of my dogs is he would greet you at the door. I I always said he had a greeting disorder because he would (laughs) greet you at the door and greet you and greet you and greet you until you were really literally floating in a pool of his saliva. And then he was so happy to see you that he would go into the living room of my house, which is in view of the front door, and just have sex with the couch for the rest of the time you were there. That was how excited he was. And happy that you came to my home. And I was thinking, what if this was a well? The joke I used to do was, what if it was my husband and he came to the door and I would go, you know, I just want to tell you, when you come to the door, my husband is going to jump on you and knock you over and then he's going to run into the living room and masturbate. Don't don't be upset. It's just his way of saying hello. He's saying, welcome to my home. But the truth <laughs> is, where I was going this time was. If it had been a kid that I raised, I don't, I think I would have been raising Charlie Sheen, you know, like (laughs) just a a selfish, confident
1: (laughs) lunatic. (laughs) But now I'm sorry, it made me crack up um, because I just have this image now. I can't go to anybody's house or have anybody in my house without wanting to say to them, I'm so sorry, but... My husband is going to go do this to you, just for the sheer humor of it all. Um, uh, that is a beautifully graphic image. Um, one of the things I thought about Elsa as I was reading your book, speaking of animals, is I, I just this whole idea of adolescence, and maybe it's because I got adolescence in my house, but the feelings that you evoked in me of or reminded me of, because my diaries I did not, they were not that explicit. Um, but I remembered all my crushes and how intense they were and how um, really they were going nowhere fast. And does this like I, I know I don't have David Attenborough on, but pretend you are David Attenborough. Who is my happening? my
0: one hero, by the way?
1: <laughs> well, there see so you can
0: channel I just him. love david attenborough i think he might be the most perfect human who ever walked the face of the earth if i start to hear me too shit about him or something i'm gonna kill myself <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you better not be anybody getting ready to, uh, to tell all about david attenborough
1: that's all I, I, I don't want i don't want to hear but he probably didn't spend that much time with enough with humans to never mind but is there an adolescence for animals we need to find this out. because oh, wait a minute! I do animal-
0: Absolutely. Well, if, if you have you ever raised anybody from a puppy?
1: Um, only my two children. I've raised animals from kittenhood, but my dog came as a one-year-old. No, they're very funny. As um, the, the teenage
0: years for for a dog are sort of, um, I would say, eight or no, eight or nine months, maybe nine months to two years. And then, and the, I think that's the teenagers, and they are um, just goofy. They're, <laughs> when they're puppies, they're way more clueless. When they're teenagers, they're partially clued in. They're less destructive. They're still pretty destructive, but willfully destructive, kind of more so. And um, but just goofy as hell. It's it's the boingy years. It's the years where they're swinging <laughs> around,
1: going boing, 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 boing. boing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, just, I wanted to like conjure up this image of like i guess like dolphins are like the most sentient of all of us you know they're like us in the ocean um do like do they make like bad relationship choices what
0: dogs? right or is it oh, only they make human nothing but bad relationship choices? <laughs> <laughs> the couch well, they have no choice as <laughs> far as the people who raise them but i mean they're willing to just get right into it with anyone every dog yeah, if it's it's true. It seems, true. And, and lots of that doesn't work out. My dog, Wally, right now, is a, he got adopted from a, a rescue by me because he was so, and it didn't occur to me, but I look back on it now, he came up and just put his arms around me and went, um, yeah. I love you very much. And <laughs> and so I went, all right, so you, you're coming home with me. And, and it was that fierce ability to manipulate that... Uh, that is his strong point. He, he bites every other dog. He doesn't ah. give them any warning. He just uh, sort of sidles up to them and bites them and then leaves. So he just wants them to know that he could he bite them if, he, if they want. They better watch what they're doing around him. And that's what he, he does. It's, uh, he's, he's all bad relationships except for with people, and he totally knows how to manipulate people. He has, he's so good at that. That uh, it's, he's the it's kind like, of dog that every person just goes, I think he really loves me. I think we have a really <laughs> special.
1: <laughs> Even though he's like giving you the Nazi salute, you're still like, God, I, just, I think it's something special. I can't believe I didn't us. realize
0: that there was Nazism involved in that. I guess we weren't <laughs> talking about it much at home. I mean, I knew about World War II, but I didn't personalize it. I didn't think
1: it had anything to do with me why would you in safe in Florida or wherever you were at the time and nine years old and nine I guess we weren't laying it in
0: my I mean my parents had my parents been holocaust survivors I would have
1: been hearing about it a lot more but possibly I don't my father was a holocaust survivor and I didn't hear he it was like oh yeah that happened anyway let's move on yeah that's what Uh, that's (laughs) what my parents
0: were like they were moving on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so they
1: managed to raise a daughter who didn't know she was being jew baited <laughs> i had people pitch pennies at me in the high school um, Wow, that's a, a weird one yeah because you know if you know how the jews are with money oh yeah They'll they love just pennies. grab it when they can they, they just pay. love the pennies it's so, with the pennies you just because you collect enough of them and how is it running the um hollywood do you do it single-handedly or just with all the other Jews? Do you meet re- regularly or? Oh, no, well, work? I'm
0: in charge of the laser.
1: <laughs> oh, that's you. They're doing, they were great. Great job, by the way. Fantastic. I'm kind of proud of my work. <laughs> you should be. And no one thought you were going to be a scientist and look at you. Yep. That's impressive. Um, just uh, this idea of um, being a woman and being treated like shit. I mean, it's not really, uh, you didn't really give me much of a segue. I'm not like really doing it you Are you talking about my audio swabbily? book?
0: I wrote this audiobook <laughs> book with a, with a partner called The Indignities of Being a Woman. And we just, we were trying to figure out something to do. And then I, we started talking about, how did it happen that 52% of the population became a minority? Now, how did that work again? And then I thought, well, all right, I'm not sure how that worked. And we started doing research. And I really didn't realize how bad it was for women through history to the extent that I now realize, because we did a lot of research, read a lot of books, and it wasn't, I thought it was, I was gonna just encounter drudgery and kind of stifled dreams and kind of um, poor treatment personally. I didn't realize I was looking at abject slavery and torture. That's what it has been pretty much on every continent, in every religion, since, you know, since since we gave up since we went to the city state from the primitive tribe the primitive tribes everybody was doing far better
1: because everybody you know needed to pitch in or else
0: yeah they and there was a lot of pitching in and there was there was a lot more respect and functionality to the way women acted in in the tribe as soon as i got to the city state and and the men decided they needed to um form dynasties and therefore needed to trace lineage. And they decided Mm -hmm. to start tracing lineage through the father and not the mother, because tracing lineage through the mother is what they did in primitive tribes, because it was so easy. I mean, how would you not know? When you're going to (laughs) go trace the lineage through the father, who's the father? How can you be sure? And then you have to start holding the women captive. And that's what started happening as soon as as soon as the city state grew as the women were
1: became prisoners to to that well luckily now we live in modern societies and none of that's a problem anymore yeah, right yeah it's nice that it's all evolved away that's so fantastic um you know i was looking um as one does when one is preparing to do an interview through various like reviews of your books and things like that and one of them points out you know Thanks to Tina Fey, this is in a review of one of your books, thanks to Tina Fey, comedians, um, uh, there's a new appreciation for comedians. And uh, with all due respect to Tina Fey, I just kind of thought that, I kind of hoped that we were sort of beyond that sort of like, Women in this I, I realize I'm naive. It's amazing but, how we
0: never get beyond anything. I mean, look at look at the nice revival we've all had into the world of race relations. I and, would have thought yeah. we were beyond
1: that. But
0: right. guess again.
1: Guess again. And you know, and because I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm my age that I feel this way or whatever. And I talked to my students who are mostly like 19 and 20 years old, and I was like, what do you think of this statement, you know, thanks to Tina Fey, do you think that like, you know, female comedians are treated differently than male comedians and 201 they all agreed. And it's a pretty, you know, they I They what wide What did they agree? That that women do get treated differently. That, yeah. um, that that people are much this one of my students said it kind of perfectly when she said people are much more judgmental of how they look and what they talk about.
0: Although it's so much better than it was when I was coming up and, tr- and facing it down for the first time. And I didn't even then, because I had gone to UC Berkeley, I didn't realize how how warped it was then. It was sort of a different version of me and the Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't realize what I was walking into with the male-female thing. And I also didn't realize that nightclubs where I was uh, performing were owned by the mob. When you- oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought you know it's a fun thing with the fun people and, and <laughs> i really didn't didn't know i've uh, i i've had a lot of naivete spells
1: yeah i maybe it makes maybe it's better i but think Tina I said it. really
0: did make a big breakthrough there i mean she she and Amy Poehler together really, really kicked down some serious walls that that were around. Right, with with their shows and just becoming their own producers. Yeah, well, you know what, I I, I also give some credit to Lauren Michaels. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it Lauren Michaels pushed those two forward. He allowed them. You know, he had he he was the giant two thousand pound gorilla that could make those decisions and didn't used to make those decisions in the beginning days of Saturday night live. And then at some point had evolved enough that he was willing to make those decisions. And Tina and Amy were there. And great, great. Also great. You know, I mean,
1: maybe unstoppable, right, they,
0: but he, but he had the platform for them.
1: That's great. And they, they had the power and the strength to go move forward with it. Yeah. Um, what are you going to be working on next? I, that's what I've been struggling
0: to figure out. I just keep sort of stabbing at things, and um, and I and I'm just sort of uh, spinning my wheels, kind of seeing what I can
1: make, if what, if anything, I can make move forward. I see. It's been a kind of difficult. I think COVID has sort of been. Have you found it challenging to work during COVID? Um... Yeah, I'm sorry that I turned my book in before
0: COVID because I could have just rewritten the whole thing and redrawn it during COVID. <laughs> it would have been a perfect chance to to, to to tidy it up even further. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I don't it, think it needs tidying up. It, it 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 shouldn't be any different because for me, I'm a real I'm a person who hides out a lot anyway. I don't um. I don't have a big social life. I have some friends that I value, and I see them sometimes. And I do a lot of spending. I have a, a very big tolerance for spending time alone. So, um, but this pushed me way past that tolerance. <laughs> this showed me what the edges of that tolerance were. You
1: didn't know there was an edge, yeah, and then you just no, I didn't. it, did not I yeah. thought
0: it was sort of limitless, and I went, oh,
1: no, good. It has limits. <laughs> Unfortunately, this podcast also has limits, so I need to call this discussion. I need to, unfortunately, bring it to a close. Did you make those cookies? But I have made the the batter, uh-huh. and I'm going to bake it off after we get off the phone. Oh, And I look forward to telling you, because this is um, the first batch I made, had apple in it, and this batch is banana. And, banana oh, very, really very nice. makes it
0: solid, but you have to watch out for the uh, the timing on the cooking.
1: Yeah, that's what I noticed also when I cook with monk fruit sweetener, that it, if it's too high a heat, it can burn very easily.
0: Yeah, and um, and bananas make it moist on the inside, so you have to bring the heat down enough to let it cook on the inside without burning on the outside. Exactly right.
1: So I may smoosh them, as we like to say, smoosh. Or as, as Andy,
0: word. who lives with me, sa- says, he he likes it when he calls it hot banana pudding, if I... if i bring it out too soon it's too crunchy on the outside it's wet on the inside he likes it just
1: fine anyway (laughs) that's you picked the right guy then yes (laughs) well chosen so it did so you know to come full circle you have made a good decision after a lot of a few bad poor a few poor decisions in junior high i guess that's why we have those those moments to
0: work through it. Um, I don't think you learn anything from those decisions in junior high. It's the later decisions you learn the stuff from. The decisions in junior high are just setting you up for more of those guys. You're going, I didn't get this guy, but I'm getting the next one. You're looking for the same, that same <laughs> terrible dynamic over and over again until you're, I, I'd say the age of reason is uh, 35. 35. <laughs>
1: or at minimum. At minimum, yeah, because there's way too much going on just, just in chemistry. Around.
0: I mean, it takes you years. It took me years to figure out that just because you have a hot kiss with someone, it doesn't mean it's a
1: relationship. <laughs> right, otherwise I would have married a dog. Like, never mind. Um, my dog is very... He licks a lot. Anyway, um, on that really uncomfortable note, uh, please don't anybody read anything into that. Um... Thank you very much for being here, Meryl. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me and Meryl Marco for The Secret Life of Cookies. You can find my recipes on my website, marissarothkopf.com. And please follow me on Twitter at Marissa And if you will be so kind, please leave a nice review in the Apple Store. It's what makes this podcast happen. Stay safe, eat cookies, and talk to you again next week.